Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. In our last episode, we spoke to Mr. Nick Moore from Governor Kay Ivey's office about what her office has done for literacy in the state of Alabama. This week, we will be talking to Dr. Denise Gibbs, the most recognized expert on dyslexia in the state of Alabama. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Bell Smith. Welcome, my friend. Well, I'm glad to join you this afternoon, friend. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to read some of your biography for people who do not know uh, you like I do. Uh, Dr. Denise Gibbs is a fellow of the American Speech and Hearing Association, and she taught for more than 25 years as a professor in communication science and disorders at the University of Montevallo. She was the director of the Speech and Hearing Center there before becoming the director of the Alabama Scottish Rite Foundation Learning Centers. She is the author of four books published by LRP, Rising to Dyslexia Challenges Through Multi-Tiered Systems of Support, RTI for Early Readers, uh, RTI for Middle and High School, and Leading the Dyslexia Challenge. She was appointed by the Alabama State Board of Education to the Alabama Dyslexia Advisory Council. She is a contributor to the Alabama Dyslexia Resource Guide, and along with other members of the council, serves as a dyslexia advisor to the Alabama Department of Education. She was appointed by Governor Kay Ivey to the Alabama Grade Level Reading Committee, which is a component of the Alabama Literacy Act adopted in 2019. She is a founding member of the Alabama branch of the International Dyslexia Association, and she has served numerous terms as president, vice president, and board member of that organization. Through the philanthropy of the Alabama Scottish Rite Foundation, Dr. Gibbs provides professional development in the areas of dyslexia and RTI at no cost to Alabama schools, and she serves as a special education, RTI, and dyslexia consultant to school districts across the country. She received a BS and an MS in speech language pathology from the University of Montevallo, and she received an EDD in special education from the University of Montevallo. That is such an impressive um, resume, uh, but I also know that you are dyslexic. You have dyslexic children and grandchildren. That is just so amazing. Yes, that is true, and it does dyslexia, uh, which... Uh, runs in families, runs in our family very deeply. And I have a brother who is very dyslexic. And um, he also has children and grandchildren who now who are dyslexic. And um, so it's been, dyslexia has been one of those things that has been one of my lifelong passions. And I really kind of think one of the reasons that I was created was to do exactly the things I am allowed to do in the area of my work with the Alabama Scottish Rite. And we specialize at Scottish Rite in providing support to Alabama families as they have children who struggle with the dyslexia challenges that we see in schools every day. You started talking a little bit about um, Alabama Scottish Rites. Can you tell us more about the organization itself uh, and the impact it's had on children and families in Alabama? 
boy, will I be happy to tell you about Scottish Rite. Um, my work with Scottish Rite goes back a long time, way before I left Montevallo. Uh, Scottish Rite had a um, clinic for childhood language disorders uh, at Montevallo starting in probably the late 70s and early 80s. And I had the joy of being able to be the director of their program there. When uh, the Scottish Rite had a vision, some of the members of the Scottish Rite had this desire to provide support for children with dyslexia in Alabama schools and felt like that through their philanthropy, they wanted to be able to provide professional development and help for teachers as they were encountering children with dyslexia in schools all across Alabama. They started talking to me about this and this vision or dream of supporting schools long before I was ready to leave Montevallo. And finally, I think I got it one day when I was having a conversation with uh, the leader of the Scottish Rite, um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Carl Reed. And when Mr. Reed finally was able to penetrate the fog that I was in to let me know that um, he really wanted me to be the person to travel to Alabama schools in their name and spread the word about dyslexia. And I think actually, Shelly, it was that's how I came in contact with you a long time ago. So that's exactly it. Yeah. So during my first years of working with Scottish Rite, many, I've been with Scottish Rite now for almost 20 years. And um, so I uh, did professional development in Alabama schools. And I used to keep up with how many teachers I had done uh, workshops for and all that kind of stuff, how many districts. And it finally came out that it was just easier to say I was in every Alabama school district at one time or another providing support at either a local school level, sometimes at a district level. And I had the opportunity to work with teachers and administrators, principals, assistant principals. I think back in those days, you might've been an assistant principal when we initially got started. And um, so they, Scottish Rite wanted Alabama schools to be able to recognize dyslexia and that's children who are struggling with reading because they are born with a, a brain that approaches reading a little bit differently than children who don't have dyslexia. And um, so they wanted schools and teachers to be equipped. And not only did they want us to tell teachers about it and equip them that way, but they actually got materials um, and got the copyright uh, permission to use in Alabama schools from the Texas Scottish Rite Hospital. And we would do a workshop, I would do a workshop in a school take those materials to the school and give them to them to use at the school. In the old days, it was, I think, VHS tapes and the boxes would fill up my trunk and that would have been Shelley's school. And then we uh, upgraded to DVDs. And um, so, and now we talk about other materials other than just the Scottish Rite dyslexia materials from Texas. But we gave Alabama schools thousands and thousands of dollars of uh, materials to use with children with dyslexia. And um, this was all part of the philanthropy. Scottish Rite is part of the Masons and they have as their uh, philanthropy in Alabama, Scottish Rite does, to serve families who are and children who are struggling with dyslexia. In some other states, Scottish Rite does other things. They work with children with other types of language problems. But in Alabama, we pretty much exclusively work with dyslexic children. We also started testing children who have dyslexia 
at no cost to families. And at our most recent count, we have um, evaluated, goodness, we do um, close to a thousand children a year. And we've been doing this for almost 20 years. So um, the number is just astronomical in terms of numbers of children and families that have um, gotten the information they were so desperate to receive as to why their child was struggling. And um, we're still doing testing. Um, even in these COVID days, we have started testing again after a, taking a break because of the pandemic. Um, but we're testing now in our Montgomery, in our Birmingham, in our Huntsville, and in our Florence offices. So, um, And our waiting list is always very long, but with the pandemic, it's gotten really unmanageable. But we are happy to evaluate children and to give the children, their parents, and their schools uh, recommendations about how to get that child reading more successfully and writing more successfully and spelling more successfully. Because difficulties with reading, writing, and spelling kind of go hand in hand if you're a child with dyslexia. And dyslexia impacts about, some people will say it's one in five, maybe as much as 20% of the population. And that's despite having effective classroom instruction, but um, it's at least 13%. So somewhere between 13 and 20%. And with the pandemic and the way that has impacted instruction in every classroom, uh, particularly in those, it, I'm concerned about the the instruction in those lower elementary grades. Wow, um, it'll be hard to even wrap your brain around how many children are going to need extra support in reading because whatever virtual instruction maybe that they were able to get, it left them with some gaps. And so um, in addition to the truly dyslexic children who are obviously still out there, um, we're going to have other children who need additional support. And um, we at Scottish Rite are happy to be working on that as the months come and come and go. What a legacy Scottish Rite and you have made on this state. So hearing that story and, and uh, Denise and I have known each other for a long time. I am one of those people that she trained in schools many years ago. And so Scottish Rite uh, really gave me a gift many years ago with um, paying for her to come and work with schools. Um, but you were really involved in some of the grassroots efforts of parents and families uh, in the state of Alabama on behalf of dyslexic children. So can you tell us a little bit about how parents started getting organized and advocating for their children? Yes. In um, probably the early 2000s, um, I'm thinking it was somewhere around 2003 or 2004, um, a group of parents um, who um, I had had opportunities to work with either through testing their children at Scottish Rite or sometimes um, there was a group in Madison County, which is where I live now, but I didn't live up here then. Um, so some Madison County parents um, and um, Angie Wilson Hood was the mom who started that group. She has two dyslexic adult offspring. I hate to call them children, um, but she does have two offspring who are uh, dyslexic and who are very successful adults. Um, Angie was determined that at, we would have um, a dyslexia association, uh, an Alabama branch of the International Dyslexia Association. And so she and I worked together um, and her dad is real involved with Scottish Rite. So it was a natural thing for Angie and I to 
uh, be uh, together on this project. So we worked to get the International Dyslexia Association, Alabama branch, started in the early 2000s. And it was almost uh, exclusively um, populated by parents of children with dyslexia. We would have uh, group meetings and what have you uh, in all parts of the state. And it was always parents that would come with break and their um, just absolute desire to see their children become successful and to see how to get help for their schools uh, in terms of helping the schools meet the needs of these very um, precious struggling readers. So we started the International Dyslexia Association branch, and then there were other branches that or other groups that started along the way. And it was awesome because those groups all got to come together and um, and this was probably in about 2014 and 15. And it was fabulous because these other groups, uh, that all, again, populated by parents, um, uh, came together. It was Alabama Game Changers and um, the Roundtable Solutions um, all came together. And we, with Scottish Rite and the International Dyslexia Association and those groups, um, put our heads together and we wrote a dyslexia law for Alabama or some dyslexia, it turned out to be dyslexia amendments to the Alabama Administrative Code. And those were adopted in 2015 by the uh, State Board of Education. And they were unanimously adopted based by those wonderful people who had been elected to steer the school. They got the amendments together and it really was a parent advocacy grassroots kind of an effort that happened. So um, uh, that, you know, is, I think, where we are today. We still have parents driving this concern because if your child is struggling in school, you take it really personally and it becomes your life's mission to make things better. I know that has been my case as a parent and now as a grandparent because having a child who's struggling in reading, it's so much more than that because, they struggle in reading. They struggle socially. They feel their self-esteem is very, very marginal. And um, the, the, the life um, expectancy, the trajectory that that child is going to be on is profoundly different until the dyslexia challenges can be overcome. So we talk about rising to these dyslexia challenges. We can't cure it. You'll always be dyslexic. I'm still dyslexic but I've managed to write some books and be a college professor. So, I mean, you can rise to the challenge, but you're still going to be dyslexic because you were born dyslexic and your brain is different and it's in your genes. So it's not something that we can make go away, but we can make it where you can read anyway. And that's our goal. Absolutely. So fast forwarding from 2015, which really, uh, started this process going at the state level, and then what impact do you think that this work had on the 2019 Alabama Literacy Act? Well, I know that there were there were there were individuals who uh, worked with um, Representative Collins and Baker as they developed that wonderful piece of legislation, who were instrumental in our dyslexia group from the uh, ground level. And they were so diligent in making sure, braced by the Literacy Act as well. So when we, when I first saw the Literacy Act in one of its um, early drafts, I guess, I was delighted 
to see that everything that you would design to be in pl- have in place for a child with dyslexia to help them overcome those challenges was written into the Literacy Act. So the Literacy Act, because, um, and, and it's interesting because if you help dyslexic children overcome their challenges, you will actually help all struggling readers because what a dyslexic child needs is not different than what any child who's struggling in reading needs. And I'll guarantee you, my, my background has always been to support public education. And I have never encountered teachers in any of our public schools in Alabama who aren't passionate about wanting to do what's right for children. That's why they're there. They didn't go into education because of the glory and the fame and the money. They went into education because they love children and and they love helping children. And many of them, all of them, I hope, most of them for sure, have a gift to do just that. And all they need is to be equipped with the right kind of tools and the right kind of instruction. And so what we've talked about for dyslexia going through Scottish Rite and, and the other parent groups that have emerged it's not like it's only for those children. It's for any child who struggles because any child who is not learning to read effortlessly in those early years and, and months of, of instruction, they will benefit from what we do for our children with dyslexia. It's not like, well, a dyslexic child needs something so different. It wouldn't be right to use that with a child who's, a, I'm going to just say, plain vanilla, struggling reader. You can forget that idea. I mean, it's right for anybody who is struggling. And so it's sort of like if you're having difficulty with something and somebody has, you know, the ultimate, I'm going to just say vaccine because of all this crazy pandemic stuff that we are living through. And so you have the ultimate vaccine that you know is going to solve that dilemma, but it'll also solve a whole lot of lesser dilemmas. Would you really deprive the child of the vaccine? Because maybe they didn't have the big disease. Of course you wouldn't. You would want the child, any child who's struggling to get that help. And that's where we are. And when I saw the Literacy Act for the first time and read the part in it that is my favorite part, which says children will be screened for reading difficulties in grades K through three. And any child who is struggling and who fails that screening will actually receive, get this, a dyslexia-specific reading intervention. In other words, they'll get the big vaccine because it'll fix whatever ails them. And if we used something lesser, we might miss the boat and let that child struggle needlessly for another year, what, maybe two years? And that's not acceptable because when a child is struggling, what really is happening is it's not just the child's reading that's not progressing, it's the child's social and emotional and mental health and everything else. And if we can solve that problem by getting the help early, hallelujah. So when the Literacy Act was passed, it didn't just say, oh, and we'll figure out who has dyslexia and be sure they get what they need. It does say that, but it also says any child who's struggling will get the same kind of help, the exact help that a child with dyslexia needs because we know that's the help that really helps. Yeah. So 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and it's a good story. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both the challenges and next steps that you see for Alabama in terms of literacy, uh, both before COVID and now after. And you've alluded to some of those, but um, I really would love to just hear what you feel like are you know, the challenges and next steps. Shelly, I think um, if we hadn't even had COVID, we would probably still be kind of in the throes of trying to implement this amazing, um, great for kids and wonderful for teachers. Because I'll tell you, the Literacy Act provides teachers with tools that in my life experience for the last 20 years, I've heard them begging for. And all the Literacy Act does is it equips teachers to do what they wanted to be equipped to do. And it it doesn't, and it, it puts money there, it puts um, professional development there, it puts everything, all the resources to equip teachers to do the job that they want to do. We would still be struggling, though, even without COVID, to try to get this off the ground and get it launched effectively. What my experience in working in Alabama, and I've been in all the school systems over the years, And my experience is that Alabama, like probably all other states, um, has what I'm going to call pockets of excellence, where for whatever reason, they're way ahead of the curve. And they're already doing a lot of the things that we need people to do to help children rise to these literacy challenges. But then we have also pockets of whether it's poverty, whether it's um, a lot of families that are uh, not as functional. I don't know how to say that, but but they're they're not like a two parent home or a, or a single parent home with a a family a, a parent a mother or a dad who really is equipped to meet all the needs of their children. So you have families that need more support, and if you're in a community where there's a lot of that, then you know getting the flowers to grow in that community takes a special special kind of effort. And so I think in Alabama, what we're going to see is we're going to see that even without COVID, we would still be trying to get things launched and off the ground. But with COVID, oh my goodness, we've so increased the number of children who are going to need our support. Because let's just say if everything was just rocking along, we would expect to have, I don't know, 15%, maybe 20% of our children who would need this dyslexia support. With COVID, I would say the number that will need this kind of support will way more than double. And there's no way to even predict because um, in those early grades, um, I, I really think kids need an informed, equipped, caring teacher to be physically present with them who can see the look in their eye when they just don't quite get it. And we have teachers all over the state who have that skill and that ability. But to be able to do that virtually, where you're looking at a screen like you and I are looking at right now, I mean, you can't tell from my eyes probably on this screen, even though we're good friends and have been with each other in a lot of ways for many years, you still can't read me over this virtual network like you could if we were together. And I don't care how dedicated we are as teachers or what, that's just the reality of what we ask our education system to do. 
And it's just sad. And it's it's real. And I think it's going to make the work a lot more um, just almost overwhelming. But we just have to step up and do it because the kids are still there. The kids need our help. And it's what we're there for. So I don't think it's going to make it's not going to make any more dyslexic children. It's really not. But it'll make a lot of children look like they're dyslexic. And that's going to be the thing. What will happen, though, Shelly, is we'll work with those kids just as if they were dyslexic kids. And if they're not truly dyslexic, they will respond to the support that we provide a lot more readily, a lot quicker. So they won't need the long term, maybe, I hope, support that they would have needed had they truly been dyslexic. So I think that's going to be the difference. And I think we have to be kind to ourselves and, and to each other because Nobody could have predicted that this is what the world was going to be like. And we all just have to give each other credit for doing the best that we can and love each other. Absolutely. So I agree with some of everything you said. Um, and I really um, wonder what do you want parents and educators to know right now? Well, just probably that last that I said, I guess, that we need to be patient with each other. We need to be kind to each other. We need to assume the best of each other. That if I'm a parent, I'm going to assume that my child's teacher is doing the very best that he or she can do. And I'm going to try to support that teacher in every way that I can. Because the teacher is working in an environment that nobody could have foreseen or it's not like there's a handbook that tells you how to teach a child to read on zoom there's not and i'm guaranteeing you that there was not one professional education course that any student any teacher took that taught them how to do what we're asking of of teachers so we need to love one another support one another and we need to realize that we're all in it together to help our kids and the teacher wants to help the child as every bit as much as the parent does. And we all are going to feel overwhelmed. And I think what we all need to do is to realize that this too shall pass. And one day we will be on the other side of this and we will just build back the, um, we'll just build back the children and um, the skills the best way we can when we get to the other side of it. So I want teachers to take heart and love themselves and love their children as they do, and to love their parents. And I want parents to love the teachers because right now we have got to work together to support each other. And it's in the child's best interest if parents and teachers unite and become sort of a massive inseparable force for good for the child. And without that, we will not see the possibilities that we will if we'll just love one another and work together um, as if we're one. I love that. That's so true. So thank you so much for being here today, but most of all for what you've done for the children and families of Alabama. I know I am personally forever in your debt for what you've taught me over the years and continue to teach me. Um, invite our uh, listeners to tune in for our next podcast episode. Uh, we will have an interview with several certified academic language therapists, also known as CALTS. And this group of people has led the way for providing dyslexia therapy to students across the state of Alabama. 
and uh, give you an opportunity to learn more about what they do and how their work can help struggling readers. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. Thank you so much.